everyone, before we start the show, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. We really wouldn't have the show without you, and as I start packing up for Germany, I can't help but feel gratitude for everything around me, and that, of course, includes all of you. So we'll keep pumping out the content, you keep tuning in, and I can't wait to see where this journey takes us all. Happy listening. Welcome to Oyster World. Radio. Hello, oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio. And wow, I could not pass this story up. This dude went to North Korea. Brendan Eichelhart grew up like most of us in a suburb in a Midwest city. He didn't study abroad. He traveled a little bit growing up. So how the hell did he end up in North Korea? North Korea. Not South. North. North Korea. The crazy one. Well, that's what we're here to find out. So I won't keep you waiting any longer. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Brendan Eichelhart. Well, Brendan, welcome to Oyster World Radio. We're really glad to have you. And how are you doing on this fine Tuesday? Oh, I'm doing just just great. Good. And... You know, I re- I kind of ran into your story by chance. It was actually your cousin Alex and my roommate that turned me on to your story that we're going to get into a little bit a little bit later. But where are you now exactly? Can you give us a little insight of uh, what you're doing currently? Sure. Um, I'm right now. I'm just sitting in the kitchen of my apartment in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> nice apartment, Madison, Wisconsin. It's probably getting pretty yeah. nice over there right about now. Yeah, about time. Yeah, about time. Seriously, for everyone not in the Midwest, I am so jealous of you. Um, it is still cold in May, which makes no sense to me, um, and I'm sure it's only colder up in Madison. Yeah. <laughs> but the good news is, so we we we're kind of used to this, and I I yeah. always like bringing Midwest folks on the show, especially Midwest folks that have found travel, because I, I feel like it's kind of unique. It, it, not being from places like New York and, and San Francisco and the bigger cities. So uh, where are you from? And kind of give us a little bit of what, what growing up was like for you. Sure. So I am originally from Davenport, Iowa, which is on the eastern eastern, eastern side of the state of Iowa um, in what we call the Quad Cities, Davenport being the largest of, in, of the cities in that, that metro area. Um, and born and raised there, so I lived there from my birth until um, I graduated from high school. And um, then I moved to Southern Indiana to Bloomington to go to Indiana University, um, after which I moved up to Madison, Wisconsin about four years ago. Gotcha. And uh, being from Ohio, we have a lot of stereotypes of all the other Midwestern states. And for Iowa, really the big stereotype for us is that there's nothing there besides cornfields. (laughs) And I know that's not true completely, but... Yeah, I think you appreciate. I think you appreciate it a lot more after you leave the state, as is, is true. I think in a lot of situations. So, Eastern Iowa actually is the more populated side of the state. So, Western Iowa is is uh, significantly more rural, and, and there's a lot of farming. There's certainly a lot of farming in the eastern side of the state as well. But the three largest cities in Iowa um, are all in the eastern side of the state. So, I mean, relative to other parts of the state, it's actually pretty. Um, at least where I'm from is, is fairly densely populated and there's, you know, cultural stuff to do. And, and where I grew up is kind of more, I would say more kind of in a suburban setting, um, than, than what you'd kind of expect from typical rural, rural 
Iowans. So it's, it's kind of funny because the first time I really had a lot of interaction with people who were from really small towns was when I went to college and my, my college roommate is from a town of less than a thousand people in Southern Indiana. So that was, that was actually interestingly enough, my first prolonged exposure to someone who grew up in kind of a more rural setting. Yeah. So it's, it's always funny too, because I have no room to talk. Ohio has three major cities and the rest is corn. So it's yeah. really just, I think, a, a flip on us. But so you, yeah. you grew up more of like a suburban setting, which I, I know myself, I did the same and a lot of our listeners do. But can you take us to a day in the life? Like what was a day in the life in, in Iowa for you growing up? Yeah, um, I don't know. I was, I was really involved with music in school. That was always my passion from pretty much middle school on. So I was always going off to um, orchestra or band or choir. I was involved in all those things. And um, so a lot of my time was spent just in various musical, musical activities. And looking back, it's kind of amazing the schedule that I juggled in, in middle school and especially in high school. I'm like, wow, I don't, I don't know how I did that. I feel like I would be exhausted if I tried to pull some of that stuff off today. Oh, man. Um, Definitely don't have the energy anymore. Yeah. I'm like pulling late nights, like doing AP assignments. And I, I worked for part of high school as well. So just, yeah, like, wow, I was, I was a hard worker back then. I don't know what yeah. happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got burned out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah, I look at people in school now, like, how do you just keep, how do you just keep going? But it sounds like, I mean, you had a kind of a bringing up like most of us. Um, yeah. Which, which I really like to, to point out because a lot of people that go and travel and with a resume like yours, 27 countries, that's, mm-hmm. um, Having here that, you know, you grew up just like us, you weren't handed miles that you were able to just travel around the world. Yeah, it's, it's kind no, of, I, wish, I wish I would have been. That would have made things a lot easier. I feel like it would have been and a we, lot easier, wouldn't it? We traveled a fair amount when I was growing up. We did a number of road trips, I recall. We did one out east to like D.C. and Pennsylvania. Um, I think we drove to California, actually went to, I think I was pretty young for that. I don't remember that quite as much. And then we went up to Canada one time. We did a couple of trips. We went to Mexico and, and Germany. So we did a fair amount of traveling, but nothing too far flung. Um, so the vast majority of the travel I've done actually has been since probably my sophomore year of college onward, um, which has been about, I guess, the past six years or so. Gotcha. So you have been, I mean, in the early goings, there was some travel. Um, yeah. Because I know some some of my friends haven't been on a plane at all. Yeah. Or maybe once. So. Yeah, which is always kind of interesting. I, I have friends that are that way as well. And, you know, obviously it's just a variation of, of what your means and, and your kind of desires in life are. But I, up until recently, I had a job where I traveled almost every single week as well. So I went all over the U.S. Um, for the past four years or so, um, which was, was a cool experience too. Gotcha. So but I mean, I, get to, I definitely get to check out the states in that, in that position, a couple of countries as well, actually, but, but more within the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think, okay, so, it seems so you you weren't handed a bunch of miles and and stuff yeah. so you you really had to figure this out on your own it it was uh something that you sparked yourself this love for travel so where where did that come from exactly do you remember kind of how you got into it or was there a specific trip uh a specific yeah. destination that really just once you've tapped into that just fueled everything else yeah, I think so. So pretty much up until my soft, I think it was my sophomore year of college. I didn't, I wasn't like super into traveling. I hadn't studied abroad. You know, like I said, I'd done some travel with family, but I hadn't really done a lot on my own at that point. 
but I was, I think it was over the summer, maybe at some point I was listening to um, one of my favorite podcasts, Planet Money from, from NPR. And they did a really interesting episode about these people that were basically gaming the U.S. Mint in order to gain airline miles. So what they would do is there was this statutory requirement in the Mint create these, I think they were like gold dollar coins. I think it was just some senator or representative's pet project. And then the Mint had to make all these money losing coins that no one actually wanted because we obviously don't use those in circulation too often. So the Mint had created this promotion to try to get these into circulation by letting people buy them online with a credit card. Um, with, I, th- I believe there was also free shipping as well. So basically you could just get your hands on these coins with no real, no, really no cost to yourself. Um, and so what folks did is they were buying thousands of these coins at a time with these, um, point and mile earning credit cards and then immediately returning the, the coins back to their banks to deposit them to actually pay off the credit card bill. So they're kind of just churning these coins and not, I mean, it was just a total, distortion and and wasn't really adhering at all to what the Mint had in mind. And, you know, of course, if you set out a program like that without proper boundaries and this this sort of thing happens, but as I was driving down the road and listening to this podcast, I, I thought, wow, that's, that's something I could see myself doing. I've always been kind of one who likes to, to push the boundaries and and utilize rules to my advantage if, if I can, you know, obviously without breaking the law. And so unfortunately in the podcast episode, they said, well, by the way, actually the Mint has shut down this program. So you're kind of out of luck. Oh, dang. But that, that was, that's what initially um, sparked my interest. And then <laughs> that I think shortly thereafter, that that was yeah. an actual thing. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, so, I don't even want to know how much money that costs just because you're shipping coins too, which I mean, if you think about how much even just like a, oh like a cup God. of coins weighs, it's like crazy. Just for them to just deposit in their bank <laughs> yeah. and be done with it. I think I assume the person at the Mint who came up with that program probably got canned. <laughs> yeah, it's not, I don't. It's not, see, not a great promo idea. I don't see their uh, that being uh, something they promote someone for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're always kind of a schemer. You yeah. you kind of like to play within the system and fell into this. You know, like it, it seems like everyone that wants to get to travel, one of the barriers is that it's too expensive or. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't have the means, I don't have the funds, but you from a, from a podcast heard mm-hmm. that, okay, someone, I knew there was, these, there's, be, there's people out there that are exploiting the system. Yeah, exactly. So that, that sparked my interest. And then shortly thereafter, I got a credit card offer from American Express and this, so this is back kind of, I think this is still pre Dodd-Frank or whatever the changes were that made it more difficult for young people to get credit cards. And I've actually had a credit card since I was 16 because that was something that was possible to do at one point. So I had a credit <laughs> history actually. Um, and so I got an um, offer for the Amex gold card as a sophomore in college with no income. So that was really um, questionable judgment on Amex's part. Um, and it came with the book. Did you just apply I don't know, and they gave up, it to you? No, it just showed up in the mail. It was an offer. I didn't even reach out and ask for it. Oh, so it was man. an offer. It was an offer for um, the gold card. You would get fifty thousand points if you spent, I think, a thousand dollars in the first so many months, maybe a few months after um, your application was approved. So I was like, well, now I know that that's free money, so I'm going to take that. <laughs> so yeah. I, I accepted the offer. Um, I, I think I managed to spend that money just through. I think I had to like buy some books or something, and then I was involved in clubs that would allow me to buy. <laughs> Suppliers, they're going to get reimbursed using that credit card. So you're so even scheming the thousand dollars. You even the thousand dollars. Psychopath, yeah. In but. three months, 
No, I, this is brilliant. This is like, yeah. you literally had no skin in the game to do this. Yeah, you so, got a credit card, they gave you a bunch of points, and then you yeah. just bought stuff and, then, and got reimbursed for your club. That's yeah, and so then that, after getting those points, that was enough for me to go on pretty much a free trip to Europe to visit a couple of friends who had been sending abroad for the summer. So that's that's where I first ah. kind of realized there's this there's you can do a lot you can do a lot with the little money because again I was still in college at this time and you know didn't you know certainly didn't have the means to buy a flight to Europe just kind of on my own accord so um that's I sort of stumbled into this and then that oh, honestly a lot of that really guided me just my interest in travel so this is kind of where it all began and then from there I um began kind of trying to do everything I could to travel more and and learn up um read up on how I could do this at low or no cost <laughs> what other schemes do you got like concocting oh. over there like what, what what's your most proud one like what's your most proud moment of scheming the game i don't know so I, I mean interestingly so my job like i said i was traveling a lot for that and so i would naturally accrue a lot of these points and miles just by nature of the job so at some point I actually became i didn't really even pay attention to it. i just was like well i'm going to get on a plane every week and i guess at, you know at some point i'll figure out where i want to go so I think the coolest experience, my coolest redemption was I came back. I went to Thailand for a couple of weeks of the holidays this past year, and I got to fly back in first class on one of the Asian airlines, which is known to be kind of one of the best in the world. So I don't even know how much the cost of that ticket is, but I calculated up, I think a couple of years ago, how much free travel I got in that one year with the points and miles and hotels and everything. And it was over, I think it was around $20,000 in a single year. So it just goes to That's show. A big chunk you, of change. If you yeah. pay attention to the rules and, and you kind of go out of your way, and again, it was easier for me because of the nature of my job, but really anyone that spends money, um, you can kind of work the system to get stuff um, free. And so now a lot of people have caught on to this and it's become a pretty popular thing, but I was, <laughs> I caught on to it earlier than some people and have managed to learn the ins and outs of the programs, which has gotten me a lot of free stuff. You didn't even you, you didn't even spend the money. Sometimes you had other people spend the money to get the points. I love it. That's, well, it, that's it's awesome. funny because my in my job we would go out. You know, we go out for dinner as a big group, and so sometimes the bill would be a few hundred dollars. And it was always sometimes it was a fight for who got to pay for it because you're going to get reimbursed no matter what the same. So if, you know, if you pay for your credit card, then you get to keep the points that are accrued. Oh man, that, that makes complete sense too. So yeah, once your friends started to catch on to what you're doing, like no, 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 hold on, let me, I got this one. I'll yeah, put my exactly. card down. <laughs> so you, I, I like that you were kind of thrown into the game through the podcast, uh, and then yeah. found that it worked. So you kind of got sparks. And 27 countries later, you you are where you are but i um from from our talk a little bit earlier there's one that i really wanted to zoom in on and you're smiling already because once you told me in our pre-interview chat i got really kind of excited and a little bit blown away but north korea you actually yeah. went to to north korea which yep. to me is well especially i guess now um mm -hmm. is like mind-blowing because you hear all of these things about North Korea, rumors almost, but you don't. Mm -hmm. really, it's it seems like this tight box that no one can really, really find out, and everything's fake in a show. And but you've been, so you have like yeah. a really unique perspective of like no, like I went and actually got to see what was going on. So how okay? Let, let's start. My brain's already going at a million miles an hour, but let's let's uh, let's start at the beginning. How? 
How in the yeah. world did you go to North Korea? Valid, valid question. Um, so I, I was kind of interested in visiting an Asian country of some sort. I'd never been to Asia before. And so I was just looking, I think I was actually looking to where I could go with miles, which that honestly dictates these days, a lot of the times where I go. So basically, where can I go for free? You to go to North Korea? Like, well, so, well, no. So you can't Sorry. exactly just redeem you nine miles to Pyongyang. <laughs> but what I could do was get to China. So I knew that I could get to Beijing um, at no cost. And so I was thinking, like, oh, that'd be a cool vacation to go check out Beijing. Maybe go to the Great Wall, um, things like that. But then I think I was just reading some blogs about Asian travel. And they said, oh, you know, now you can go to North Korea. Um, there's these couple of companies that you can go with. And it was a really unique experience. And I was just reading up. I'm like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. And obviously, I knew, you know, North Korea. The, the, <laughs> you read the, it on the, a blog? <laughs> I read it on a blog, I think. Yeah. And I no, like, it sounds so wild. But I, I, and I really knew very little. I mean, obviously, again, I knew you know, enough to, to maybe have a, little, <laughs> have a little fear, but not enough to stop me from going there. So... I was reading up, you know, now that I decided I was going to go, who I should go with. So there's a number of Chinese tourists actually who go to North Korea every year just because there's this interesting relationship between China and North Korea. Um, I guess you could sort of call them allies, but really it's North Korea <laughs> being babied and, and getting a lot of favors from, right. from China. And that's what allowed them to sort of stay afloat to date. So there's a number of Chinese tourists who go each year through tours that are, are geared toward them. Um, but then there's also a couple of companies that are, I think, both based in Beijing or several of them based in Beijing that offer tours that are more targeted toward Western tourists, so people from U.S., Europe, Australia, things like that. Mm. So I went with a company called Young Pioneer Tours um, that is, I think the main thing they do is North Korea, but they do a number of other trips to kind of, let's say, interesting countries around the world. So I um, I wired them $800 and <laughs> was on, well on my way, and they they kind of handled the rest. Yeah, I just send them a picture of my passport and some additional information, and then they arrange all the visa and, and the pretty much they do everything for you from that point, um, which is not even just by you know a helpful thing. It's it's a necessity just because you as a as a person from the U.S. you can't do it yourself. You have, I think my understanding is you have to go with one of these companies, and I certainly wouldn't go without one of. Them. Oh man, yeah, that that would be a whole different level. At least you had a guide going in. But how many how many uh people went in your tour was there was there a yeah, lot of people from europe and us and australia was was it a, a lot of the people from china what what was the what was yeah, the yeah. group that you were going with what did it look like yeah it was so this this company is kind of they pitched themselves as relatively inexpensive tours for for young people and there's no age restriction but it, it was primarily young people in the tour so folks in their 20s and 30s um a few folks from the U.S. I think it was me, and then there was a family, um, a mother and son from from the U.S. And then I think my I think my recollection is that everyone else was from either Europe or uh, there were a number of Australians and New Zealanders as well. Gotcha. So different folks, and there were probably about thirty to forty of us, maybe. And there was we we're kind of split up. There were a couple of different buses because there were folks who went for different periods of time. So I actually was on the shortest tour just because, obviously, being from the U.S. Um, with our um, vacation time policies. You can't just jet off for weeks on end typically. So I was there. I was actually in North Korea I think, for, I think, five days. Oh, man. So you were there for for, for five days with mm -hmm. a, a group that I thought, that's pretty big. I, I thought it would be a little yeah. bit smaller than 40 people. So like you and 40 people are in it together. You guys are going to North Korea. Yeah. So. So what? And they do they do kind of a little intro session. So you you have to get yourself to Beijing 
And then the night before you leave for the tour, um, they get everyone into this um, little space in a hostel and they kind of give you the rundown. It's, it's pretty self-explanatory stuff. Like don't, you know, oh obey all the- yeah. what, what was this like? Was it, was there anything crazy in the info session? Well, the, main thing, the main thing is to be, to not bring anything that disrespects the government or the leaders and then the religious um, paraphernalia. So like Bibles, Korans, like things like that. That's, that's, those are big, big no-nos. Really? Did they <laughs> really? say what would happen or did they were just like, just don't bring it. You might not come back. Um, they said, don't bring it. They said, that, I mean, it's, it's just these things like, it's kind of like going to any country, honestly, you know, certainly you have to respect the rules of that country and North Korea's are probably a little more, um, strict than, than most. Um, oh, but it's you know, just common yeah. sense when you travel in, in general, you know, you want to make sure that you pay them, whether you agree with them or not. So we got the, <laughs> the stern warning and then the next day we were on our way. So we, we flew from, from Beijing. Um, but from what, what was going on in your head at this moment? Like what yeah. was, were, were you scared? Was it, were you like, holy crap, this is actually going, you seem like a really fearless guy. So maybe not scared, more excited, but what was there going was on? There was never a reason for me to be afraid because you, obviously you read about North Korea in the news and, you know, and their relationship with the U.S. Um, being very tumultuous and, and things like that. But I guess at the time there wasn't really, it's, it's changed a lot. I mean, the, the current relationship and the current events that have happened are that, that sort of stuff wasn't going on at the time. So certainly North Korea was, you know, a, an enemy of the U.S. and, you know, someone we didn't get along with very well, but there wasn't this kind of acute tension that we've seen in the past few months, especially. Gotcha. So I, I wasn't really afraid. I mean, cause I was with, I figured, you know, if, if there's these 40 other people that are getting on the plane with me, and we're with this company that's made their living sending people to North Korea. I figured it, you know, should be, should be pretty straightforward. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. So I followed the herd. <laughs> yeah, you, you followed the, you followed. You didn't bring anything offensive, yeah. which was probably a good call. I'm glad that I'm still able to talk to you after the trip. Uh, <laughs> so, so you're on the plane, and you're getting, you're going over it. You, you mentioned that even from that point or flying in to North Korea, uh, they started making you watch propaganda videos from the start. Yeah. So they, they play them in the, they have, so the planes themselves are pretty, the one, the one we were on was pretty old. Um, you can tell it, it's seen better days, but the interior of the cabin was pretty similar to what you'd see in a U.S. airline. Um, and it, it just was remarkably similar to what you know, you would see if you were on United or American um, plane, perhaps minus the violence these days. Um, and so there's these, there's, you know, the, the in-flight screens or whatever, and they're playing these videos of, of, you know, the deer leaders and stuff marching around and, and all these things. So that was, that was kind of interesting. You're not like forced to watch, but I mean, they're, they're definitely in your face and they're like playing this music and the audio and stuff. So that was interesting to see. Was that a common theme throughout the entire trip? Cause that, that's one of the biggest stereotypes that I really wanted to ask about is it's like, uh, it's like a show. Almost, yeah. especially oh, for Western uh, the people from the, the Western part of the world. Yeah, that's definitely true. And because you, you obviously pay for the tour and, it, you know, it wasn't free, but I, I don't think it was exceptionally expensive for kind of the experience that I had. So I don't know. I kind of my thought is I'm not really sure if they're in it for the money, because if they were, they could certainly charge a lot more than what we paid. Um, I think that that propaganda, that that's where they sort of see the value is sort of um, exuding this impression on people that visit through propaganda and just the, the people that you interact with, which is extremely strictly controlled the entire trip. 
I mean, it's, it's, I've seen nothing like it in any of the countries I've been to. Like I mean, what? You, like what, what was like the cues and tips that you were picking up on? Well, so you're with these two, but once you get there, you know, we were with these two North Korean guides um, the entire time. So there, um, some, I've heard that that's to make sure that one, you know, kind of doesn't snitch or like rat out the other one, I guess, or one that doesn't defect. I don't really oh, even know. How really? To but um, there definitely were two at all times. I mean, that was something that you could, I don't recall there was ever a time if there was one, there wasn't the other one with you. And then you were, we also were with our Western guide from the um, Young Pioneer company that we were, were with. So they, you, you can tell that it's kind of a, the, the guy that they're kind of selected to be the best of the best. So they're, um, they're the one guy that we had her, her English was very good. You know, she was attractive, you know, at least by, you know, North Korean standards, which, um, and so they kind of go out of their way to impress you the entire tour. Like they would, the one, there was a time where they played piano for us, like during dinner and they would tell jokes and sing for us on the bus and stuff. It was really kind of, it was great service. I mean, they were like really super yeah, but nice. Was it but... kind of like an, it, like a person that's pushing too much? Just no, like... and that, and that's the thing is that they I think that they know they kind of know how to where when to push and when not to because you know I, I think they know that you're coming in with the understanding that, that you're going to see a lot of things that are just like for show, and so they really go out of their way to not make it seem like that. But at the end of the day, you're in you're in this very tightly controlled tour, um, seeing what they want you to see. Um, and the, but the guides actually were really cool. I mean, they were, they were super nice to us, and they didn't. It wasn't really an awkward relationship actually. Yeah, I, I I always like one of the things going into this interview. I'm, I'm trying to hold back, you know, the the stigma that you know North Korea is the enemy, and they, it, yeah, and in watching movies like The Interview, where it's that was just an absolutely ridiculous movie, of course, but yeah, that this like show and like pushed, and forced, uh, forcing people to eat, like sell this image mm. or even possibly pay the consequence with their life sort of thing. So, yeah. Well, one thing that was interesting though, so there was, a, there was one woman, um, I think she's from New York who was on our tour who, um, she was either from South Korea or, you know, had was up that descent. And so she spoke Korean fairly well. Um, and so she, <laughs> the guys would kind of titter among themselves, but she could understand what they're saying when they would talk. And so the, uh, the other guy that we have, she was pretty, she was relatively new to it and her English really wasn't very good. Um, and she was just kind of wearing the ropes of things. Um, and so we were at one stop and she was trying to kind of go through the spiel of, of the touristy stuff at that spot. Um, and at each, most of the different attractions we go to, there would be what they call the local guide. So in addition to the guides that we brought, there'd be representatives for that specific attraction. Uh-huh. And so the local guy was kind of just staring at her like, are you kidding me? Like your English is this bad. Like you don't, you don't know what you're doing. And so she, I think she either pulled her or the other guy aside after their little intro was done. And she was like really mad. Apparently the, this woman was telling us that she could understand this. And she's like, you're like a disgrace to, <laughs> to this country or something. Like, oh. you know, you're embarrassing us um, because your, your English isn't a good representation of, of us here. So that was kind of, <laughs> kind of crazy. So it, there was a happy face on everything, but I think behind the scenes, um, I mean, again, they were, they were putting on a show, and I think there would be consequences if the if the show wasn't put on to the sufficient um, quality that they wanted to to have out there. Oh wow! So you did get that vibe. That was um, yeah. Was there any other cracks that you saw, like within the show? <laughs> I'm just. So I mean, th- there's there's so many, but some of the major ones. <laughs> one was kind of funny. So they there were. 
there's an issue in Pyongyang and I think around the country of they just have rolling blackouts or brownouts just because they don't have sufficient electricity to kind of go around. And so we were at dinner one night. We always, you know, would have dinner in a group and uh, just ever like all of the other activities, it was immaculately planned. You just show up and, and dinner is magically served. You know, you don't, you never order. It just is, there's this like huge spread, kind of obnoxiously large spread of food available to you. Gotcha. And so we're having dinner at the, at this restaurant that was of course open just for us, and <laughs> the the power goes out, and you can tell all the all the servers and the guides working around like, oh crap, that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> Really? So they, oh no! <laughs> if, yeah, and so they immediately come out with these huge lanterns to light because we're in this huge kind of dining room, and they bring out these big lanterns to try to light the room. And then at that moment, one of the guides goes up and starts to play the piano just to kind of distract us <laughs> with a little show. The fact that there's no power in the room anymore, and it came on a few minutes later. It, was, it wasn't a big deal, but everyone was thought it was really funny because it was that was one of the clearest moments of you know we're seeing kind of behind the curtain a bit here of, of the show that they want to put on for us. Gotcha. So what what did the what did the tour consist of? Was it and, and how strict was it? Were you it, obviously guides were with, with you the whole time? And was this yeah. like a day trip? Did you stay over? Yeah. Um, so I was like I said, I was in the country. I think for five days, maybe. Oh, that's right. Days. You said so, five days. Yeah. So we, I mean, everything is planned to a T. I mean, you have no involvement in picking what you want to do or where you want to go. You're literally with the guides. Um, the entire day. So from the time you get on the bus in the morning to the time you get back to the hotel, you're with them and there's there's oversight and you're just doing plant activities and that. So we went to what felt like an endless number of monuments around the city. Um, and then we also, on the, on the trip that I was on, we went to, um, I think it was called Kaesong. It was like a, they call it a folklore city. It's like a smaller city um, kind of in the countryside. So we stayed in this um, like cute little <laughs> accommodations in, in the countryside and you have to see university and, and some stuff out there. Uh-huh. But so, but it, it's just like action packed days. I mean, you, what feels kind of like <laughs> endless stuff. And it was, it was all very interesting. I don't recall being bored at any point in the tour just because you, you, you kind of have to step back and remember, Oh yeah, I'm in um, North Korea right now. <laughs> so yeah. And you can take pictures too. So that's a common misconception is you can't take any pictures. You certainly can. Um, there's just restrictions in some cases. Um, they don't, they're really big on you not taking pictures of active construction projects. Um, huh. So the, they were actually building a new airport because the, the existing airport that they had at the time was uh, pretty crappy, honestly. Um, not, not very nice and, and quite small as well, which I mean, it doesn't need to be big. Cause it's not like there's tons of people going there. Right. But they were building this gleaming new airport, which really looked very nice from the outside, but it wasn't open yet. And so I was taking a picture um, and I got <laughs> scolded by our guides. That was my first <laughs> first scolding right after I got there. I was like, oh, I better shape up here. <laughs> they're not going to keep me around. So they are. They're like on top of it. They, you were trying yeah. to snap a picture really quickly and they were like they know yeah. what to look for and point it out. It, it, it almost feels like you were kind of guided through a tunnel. And yeah. Like this is what you're going to see, and uh, you, there's really nothing outside that. But a lot of the stuff that we saw too, now that I'm thinking back, were, were things that, I mean, you just kind of take for granted in the U.S. I guess. So we went to like a little um, coffee shop. It was like an Austrian coffee shop that, of course, was not actually open. I mean, they opened it for us. It wasn't like a functioning business. So I was like, why are we even here? I mean, clearly this is not something that's like open, open for for business in, in Pyongyang. Um, and we have this sort of thing, like, you know, all the folks are visiting from the West, like we have this sort of thing in our countries, but, and then we went on the Pyongyang Metro, which is a cool experience. Um, it was super ornate and that actually is widely used. At least it seemed like it was, there were people commuting on that. 
um, who take that to and from work. Oh man. Yeah. I'm just trying to like wrap my head around this whole experience too, especially, I mean, (laughs) the coffee shop that, that one, that one's kind (laughs) of making me laugh a little bit. So they would open restaurants. So was it really obvious that, Oh yeah. Well, the coffee shop literally like the door was locked until we rolled up. So we got off the bus. We walk in the building and it was not open. There were no staff in there. The lights were not on. And so then they summoned some people to come in and open up the coffee shop and make us these little coffee drinks. And they were great. But, but it was, <laughs> so it was almost like coffee. that was just for the tour and that was it. Oh, yeah. And that was and that was not unique. I mean, there were certainly lots of cases where it, it was either obvious or you we kind of suspected that they were opening things up just for us. Oof. Man, that sounds like a hell of a time. I'm not going to yeah. lie. A couple other things that, that stuck out. I'm, I'm trying to think of other kind of crazy things. So we, I think after we went on the Pyongyang Metro, we, um, went down, we went down to, um, they have the like Arc de Triomphe kind of equivalent kind of look at the heaven in Paris. So theirs is apparently the largest in the world. Oh yeah. <laughs> they have in Pyongyang, which they, of course, immediately tell you that. And then we walked down the street all, all the ways and we walked into um, what they call, I believe it was called the Pyongyang Fun Fair. So kind of like a little carnival right right in the center of the city. Um, and so it's, it's just very odd because you're walking around the city blocks and then suddenly you see this like you know, gleaming bright fun fair just like in the center of, of, of Pyongyang. Like so a little big, carnival? Like a permanent yeah, carnival? Yeah, and it was pretty legit. I mean, they had quite a number of rides. They had like concessions and stuff and there were a bunch of people there. So we walk in and there were a number of times in the tour, but this is probably the most obvious one I remember of where they sort of treat you like VIPs, which is very uncomfortable because you're with all these people who, you know, you know, you can kind of assume, you know, don't have, don't live in kind of the, the nice lifestyle that we have in the U S and, and have more difficult lives and you're cutting them in line to go on these like attractions. Cause oh, really? they took you right up to so the front. Oh yeah. No, we went right to the front and all these attractions. So that was kind of, <laughs> kind of awkward but the there was one i went on it was like a little mini roller coaster which i was kind of questioning the first one I was like mm, is this a good idea but then we cut line and we got straight to the front and so they we get on and you know in the u.s they have all these like safety stands you know they've got like a thumbs up thing they all like look at each other make sure their thumbs up like you're all strapped in they kind of check check all the the straps to make sure you're in nope none of that you just get on and they close it and then <laughs> off you really? go do you and have so to as, close as it yourself and be like, all right, over the no, I think I think they closed it, but they didn't do any, you know, they didn't like yank on it to make sure it was, it was closed. And they didn't do any sort of additional safety checks. And so they were going, we're climbing the hill and I actually like kicked my feet back because I was like, am I really restrained in here? Am I going to fall off this drive? <laughs> like, it'd be really bad if my downfall in, in North Korea was falling off of this. Falling off of the coaster. I got to say, that would be, that would be the worst way to go. That would be a really terrible way to go. <laughs> how, how did Brendan die? Oh, he he died because he didn't restrain himself in the roller coaster yeah. in North Korea. You know what? The more I say it, it is actually kind of cool. I mean, yeah, it'd be it'd be really unique. Yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. And again, there was just when I left, I, I immediately called my parents because they were obviously very concerned about my, my safety while I was there with all the people that had been. Um, detained under various circumstances and was kind of in just a little like shell shock, like culture shock when I left, just because you go from there where you really just can't, you don't really know what to believe. Um, you know, you, you can, they actually told us, like, honestly, like if you 
if you have sensitive conversations you want to have, like you should really never assume that you are alone. I mean, they can, they can wiretap you. I mean, they can do whatever they want. So you go from that kind of back to just normal society again. And it's, it's kind of an odd, an odd feeling. <clears throat> so there was, there was a, there were a couple hours where I was like, I just need to kind of chill and hang out by myself here and kind of gather my thoughts after I left the country. But. Oh yeah, I absolutely believe it. So there was, uh, obviously with that, there was kind of a, a before and after, Mm-hmm. Um, like mindset. So, what do, do you think that was the biggest difference um, before and after? Was this coming out of constantly being watched, or was there some stereotypes that were broken? Some things that were oh, like, made. Yeah. Or, what was your mindset afterwards? Yeah, lots of stereotypes. And honestly, I went into the trip not knowing that much about North Korea, which <laughs> sounds kind of ignorant to me, but. I don't know. When I try to, when I travel, I try to not go in with a lot of preconceived ideas and, and things. And obviously it's hard to not to do that with, with North Korea, but I didn't really want to read up an, a ton before I went just because I wanted to go and kind of see what I would see and then kind of come out and form my own opinions. So I went in not knowing a ton and met a lot of really great people there. Um, you know, it's interesting because it's it's pretty difficult to get to know anyone there because you obviously you're in a super tightly controlled trip and then very few people there speak English as well. So it's not like you can, you know, if you're walking down the streets of Europe or something where a lot of people speak your language, that's, that's pretty rarely the case there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people really, people kind of shy away from you, honestly, as, as, cause you clearly are not from there. I mean, it's a very homogenous society. There's certainly not <laughs> just like right. six more white dudes walking down the street you know, every day. <laughs> it's a right. society. Um, and another thing, another way that you stand out actually is that the, a number of folks there, and I don't know what the rules or requirements of this are, but most people there wear these pins that have, um, Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il on the, on the pin, like they're the dear leaders, kind of fathers of the country, um, at all times. So you see everyone wearing like, you know, prim and proper, very conservative clothes, and they're wearing these pins at all times too. Just <laughs> kind of funky, but, but oh, it, it, yeah, the thing that I, the thing that I came away from was that, you know, obviously our countries don't get along, but everyone that I met there was, you know, super nice. And was that part of the the, the whole facade of, of the show they're putting on? Probably. Um, but at, never at, at any point was I not treated with, with respect and, and kindness from the people that I met. And, and there was actually the opportunity to meet a North Korean soldier when we were at the, the DMZ and kind of pose for pictures of him. And he said to me, he's like, I don't, I don't like your country, but you seem like a nice guy. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> oh my God. That like, is send actually, you, buddy. That is so yeah. awesome. Yeah, so I, I have this, I have this super awkward picture of me shaking his hand after that. I was like smiling from here. Like, this is the, oh the cool. Oh my God. I it's love true. that so much. Yeah. Oh man. I, I, you know what? I love, I love that message though. It's, um, even though, I mean, what what can be more? You think of North Korea, you think enemy, like immediately. Yeah. Um, but it's cool that well, you actually got to go in and meet the people and realize that you know it's not the actual people that live there that were that were fighting or that we were at odds with. It's, well, hopefully uh, we're not gonna fight with. <laughs> yeah, I take that back. Yeah. I hope not. Yeah. That would be that would not be. Well, we'll, we'll just forget that part, but at odds with. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because especially with, you know, the events of, of late and with the current political climate, I think 
I don't know. It, there's certain, I, I feel like I'm in this situation a lot now too, where I go to a different country and there's, and there's preconceived notions that are formed about me as an American, which, you know, there's certainly that's not new in the past few months, but I think it's been amplified, um, if anything, mm-hmm. um, from, from what it was previously. And so I'm, I've gotten kind of used to being the, the sort of like U.S. apologist or, you know, the guy that, I almost see myself as kind of like a diplomat in that way. Yeah. Um, because, you know, and this group in North Korea, I mean, like I said, there were very few Americans and you kind of have to, whenever there's inevitably, you know, a jab on America or, um, you know, a modified, we'll say American history being presented, everyone kind of looks to you to confirm <laughs> the fact <laughs> that right out. Like, this is a very uncomfortable situation. Um, but I, I don't know, I kind of enjoyed that role there after a while. Um, and, and certainly it was, it was cool to, Stand, like be there as a, kind of a representative in a way of the U.S. And, and hopefully help shatter some preconceived notions that folks there had about Americans as well. Yeah, and I think that's uh, definitely a fight worth worth fighting for because, uh, you know, I, I feel like stereotypes, stigmas, preconceived notions, <laughs> it happens everywhere and to every group yeah. of people. And as this world continues to globalize, we're going to need people like you that are there to be like, you know, no, maybe, yes, this, no, that, like, I'm not, whatever you think of me, like, no, that this is me and not what you previously thought. So I, I, I love yeah. that, uh, that takeaway for sure. Um, and, and, and that too. So you've been to quite a few other countries as well, mm-hmm. 26 other countries, uh, besides North Korea. So you're, you're definitely seasoned in traveling. What, what would be, the one biggest takeaway that you, if you could wrap up all of your experiences in, in all this traveling, what would be your one big takeaway that either you didn't expect or something that changed you, a mindset that changed you after all that traveling? Yeah, I think it, I mean, it's, I think it's still kind of the same message. Just it, I've, I never cease to be amazed by the kindness of others, um, even in, in situations where they probably have reasons to, you know, from, from the get go, not like me or kind of be skeptical of me as an individual. Um, I've done a number of, um, or I've, I've couch surfed actually a fair amount, um, within the U S and around the world as well. So just staying with random strangers, strangers I meet on the internet for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> and that too, that's, that's really been an eye opening experience getting to know people kind of in their own homes too, um, and seeing how they live and, and the, the thoughts that they have on in the U S and their countries and, and the rest of the world. So it's given me a really, um, I think a better perspective on, on not jumping to conclusions about other people, like I said, um, just because, within a world as big as ours, each person kind of has their own story. And I think it's worthwhile to try to try to get that story out of them um, and not stereotype them based upon where they live or the color of their skin or their religion or other things. Ah, I absolutely love it, man. I I love that message. And the more I travel, the more I completely, completely agree with you. So Brendan, this has been great. I I have, I have, I have one, I have one last, experience that to let you go out on um, oh, from North Korea that I, that I have to share. I can't, I can't end it without this. So probably the, the oddest thing that we did there, not even, I mean, no competition was we went to um, what's called the palace of the sun. So it's like, it's basically a, an underground mausoleum, primarily underground um, mausoleum of, of the um, Kim Il-sung, who was kind of the, the father of, of North Korea, and then Kim Jong-il, who obviously um, preceded Kim Jong-un in, in leading the country. Uh-huh. So 
this was the really the primary part of the trip where there were no pictures allowed. They were very, you know, you had to dress up, which the rest of the tour, we, I was wearing like jeans and a flip, you know, flip flops and like a t-shirt and stuff. This, they're like, you must dress up and you have to leave your cameras on the bus and everything. So we go down, you take these escalators down. It's all underground. Like, this is weird. I literally, I didn't really like know what to expect because we, I hadn't really read up on again what what all these things so were. You're just going in blind. You're just going, I'm just going underground. Blind. I, underground. I just know that we're going blind. somewhere okay. where there's 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 important things that matter to the the people of, of North Korea, um, and it's it's pretty quiet. And there's all these like you know people with big guns, which that wasn't we didn't see a lot of that, so that was kind of unique. And so they're kind of parading us around, looking at all these. There's like all these awards that have been then that have been um, awarded to the the leaders of the country, and all these kind of clearly kind of like memorabilia that mattered to the you know the country and had kind of historical and um, relevance to the people there. And so then we are paraded into this um, room, and you go in. There's like this at the time there was a, I think it was like a white tunnel, and there's like all these lights, and there's air jets coming down on you. What? Okay. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what this is. I'm, I mean, I don't think maybe they're trying to like clean me off, like get the dust off of me and a mere, you know, mere mortal of, from, yeah. from the USA. And you get in this room and under the glass is supposedly the body of, of Kim Il-sung. What? So yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. And I had, I think I had read up on that, you know, this was something that was there and there's, there's question as to whether these, the bodies are actually real, but, I mean, it looked like a real dead body to me. And the room was, was chilled, and there were, of course, tons of gardens in there. And so they, they lead you in, and you go you go around to each side of, of the memorial there, and you have to kind of do this little bow. <laughs> Which a... they told us, like, they had told us that you had to bow to, you know, the leaders or stuff. And I was like, well, whatever, you know, we're, I've come to North Korea. I'm just going to do what I got to do. Right. And then they lead us to another room, and then there's the body of Kim Jong-un in the same way, under glass. And again, there's there's doubt as to whether that's actually him, but looks like a dead body to me. Whoa! <laughs> and, again, and then again, you bow and you're kind of prayed out. And so I was that was one of the few months I, were, I kind of thought to myself, like, what did I just see? <laughs> that just happened. Especially <laughs> because like, I mean, like you, you hear about those leaders in history books all the time. So you, you, if yeah. that was actually them, then you saw, you, yeah. you know, they're they're deceased now but you actually saw the those leaders that have been talked yeah. about in history books for so long that's pretty incredible that's yeah pretty it's cool. almost kind of like a holy place for the people in north korea because they're all the guards and stuff that they were and i think actually our guides too are they they cried there were people crying <laughs> just actively crying on the really <laughs> yeah so maybe i'm just heartless but i didn't i didn't manage to eke out any tears at this spot but i did have to <laughs> You'd have to bow down. To yeah, the... they're like, oh, this stupid American has no heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's, uh, wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know. That's, especially seeing how the, the people in the room were reacting and everything. That would, I don't, yeah, my mind, my, my mind's kind of all over the place with what to think compared to like my stigmas, yeah. obviously, with North Korea and what I've learned about those leaders and then how they're reacting and how they're, they're treated as burial sites. It's um, yeah, it's kind of a cool ritual in, in my opinion. But yeah, um, yeah. So when, when you gathered your thoughts, like what, what was it, like walking out because they didn't really tell you what was going on, and then you mm -hmm. just kind of like, oh, oh my god, these are like the leaders of North Korea. What? Yeah. What was going on through your? That head? was kind of that was kind of the first part of the tour where I started to 
think, you know, I'm kind of seeing history here because that's, that's certainly a moment that I will tell my children and grandchildren in the future, you know, try to be the, the cool, cool dad yeah. <laughs> someday. Um, like, Hey, guess what I saw that you probably have read about in your history books. You, you just earned cool dad status for, for I know. life. For that story, that I always tell people, I always tell people, I'm like, I don't want to have to be the cool dad by like buying my kids beer or smoking pot with them. I'm like, I want to tell them about my crazy travels and (laughs) the bodies of the the leaders of North Korea. So, yeah, that's um, I feel like you're the only person, and will probably be the only person I know that has ever seen the dead bodies of North Korean leaders. So, well, hey, if you if you want to go, they still do lots of tours. So I think they've even amped up popular yeah that's all that's always the response like uh, maybe i mean if it was back when you did it it's not i think i'd be a little bit i'd be a little bit more at ease but with yeah the current tensions maybe not so much but i'll put it on the bucket list we'll see what happens you never know you never know you up for round two see how it's different I would, I would be open to it, honestly. One thing I have thought about doing is they do, they have the Pyongyang Marathon every year there. Um, so you can actually sign up and, and go there and, and run the marathon. And it's supposed to be a really cool experience. One ah, of the guys that I was there with, I think he'd done the half marathon, maybe. Marathon? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but apparently it's, it's really, it's really crazy because they, I mean, running or jogging as a sport is not a thing there really so there's very few local people who do it but i think a number of folks come from different countries and, and run it um the, the the guy that had done it said that the, the streets are like super empty and stuff and you you actually i think at the time it ended in their kind of main sports day and there's always like cheering people and like you feel like you're the, in the olympics there when you've been to the race uh well for all the listeners out there that are into running uh, come join me and Brendan for the North Korean marathon yeah. coming up soon. Yeah, maybe I'll have, to, I'll have to tell my cousin, cousin Alex, your roommate, and see if he's interested. I know he's quite the, quite the runner. Yep, so we'll, we'll get a team together. We'll be Team USA <laughs> going to North Korea to run the or, North, or North not. Korean marathon. That, that, might, that might be problematic. But, it, yeah. it might be problematic. But... <laughs> we can pretend we're from Canada or something. <laughs> yeah, I'll work on that accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get that Canadian O back. Well, yeah. well, thanks, Brendan. This has been I, this has been an adventure for me. Just hearing about <laughs> hearing about the, this crazy trip and it's just such a such a cool experience. And uh, to me, it kind of shows that even a place as untouch, untouchable as North Korea seems, you can go explore and learn a lot about the world. So awesome, awesome story. And to to send us off. Uh, for people out there that want to get started mm-hmm. and uh, are kind of in the same boat that you were a sophomore year in college, where where would you recommend that they they start? Maybe not like a destination, but uh, maybe a strategy to get started into traveling. I think the biggest thing that's been successful for me, and, and like I said, this kind of led me to North Korea, was just to be really open-minded. So whenever I you know score a cheap ticket somewhere or go to somewhere unique, it's usually not because I you know, had this preconceived idea of, you know, oh, I want to go check out this place. It's usually, you know, I have these couple of weeks or a week that I can go. I, you know, I have a time that I can go, um, but I'll go anywhere, you know, that, that's cheap and, and interesting to go. And so that's kind of, that honestly has been what's led me to most of the vacations that I've taken over the past few years. So to be as, really what's been a success for me is, is to just be as flexible as you can and kind of be open to anything and just kind of take, 
take where the the flights or the buses or whatever uh, you know we do um and that's been that's worked out pretty well for me ah i love it you heard it here first just be flexible find the it doesn't have to be the place of your dreams uh but it might soon become the place of your dreams just by showing up and yeah and then thanks Thanks for coming on the show. I, I'm still trying to unscramble my brains, and I probably will for the next several hours. Uh, where can we find you for, for more questions if the, if the listeners want to reach out? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I have a long-neglected travel blog that I'm thinking about revamping here pretty soon. Um, so that is called Yuppie Travels. I believe actually if you Google it, you can find that. And I, I'm blanking on what the actual web address is. But if you search for Yuppie Travels, I'm going to plan on updating that in the next few months um, with some of the some additional stories from North Korea and my other journeys and then um, continue that going forward. And Yuppie, Y-U-P-P-Y, travels.com? Um, I think it's Y-U-P-P-I-E, I believe, yeah. Okay. Well, check out Brendan's adventures. If you want to learn more about his North Korean trip, that will be the place to find it. Brendan, thanks so much for coming on the show. And whew, that was a ride. I'm going to I'm gonna go take a nap or something. This was insane. But thank you, everyone, for listening to Oyster World Radio. This has been another episode, and I will catch you guys soon. See you later, Brendan. Yep, thanks. And there you have it. Stay flexible, keep that open mind, and you never know where you'll end up. Who knows? You could even earn yourself that elusive cool dad status. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio, a production of Oyster World LLC, and I am Nathan Lieberman. Special thanks to Brendan Eigelhart for coming on the show. You can track him on his blog, yuppietravels.net. That's Y-U-P-P-I-E travels.net. To keep up with the show, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating and review because for every review we get, an oyster gets its pearl. Just saying. And that one, that's for you, Alex. Follow us on the Oyster Hub, oysteryourworld.com, on Twitter, at Nathan Oyster, or on Facebook by searching Oyster World. Thank you all for tuning in. This is Nathan Lieberman signing off. Until next time. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about all time that's gone by It's time for a change In my day-to-day scene Time to turn around from that clock Face the mirror and change